0: The Story of Annie Oakley by Edmund Collier Chapter 1. I Can Go Hunting Mother, tell us about the time Daddy rescued you. Kept indoors by the threat of storm, six-year-old Annie Moses was restless. She wanted a story. Her older sister, Sarah Ellen, looked up from the deer hide she was working to soften in a tub. You've heard that a hundred times, she said. Don't bother Mother now. The door of the log cabin swung open. The cold fall wind blew across the floor. It swirled the ashes on the hearth. Mary Jane and Lydia came in carrying a log four feet long. Elizabeth rushed to shut the heavy door. The girls dropped the log on the fire, and Annie turned to watch the sparks fly up the great chimney. It was a big family for such a small cabin. Four girls older than Annie. John two years younger, and Hulda the baby. Annie's mother was sitting in a hide-bottom rocking chair, mending clothes. Annie leaned on her arm. Please, mother, she begged. Susan Moses looked down thoughtfully into the little girl's clear gray eyes. She smiled and stroked Annie's chestnut hair. Thee loves that story, doesn't thee, Annie? Yes, mother. Well, so do I, so I'll tell it to thee again. Annie's mother and father were of Quaker religion. They always said thee and thy for you and your. Little John was playing with some chips of wood near the fire. Two-year-old Hulda was watching him. At the promise of a story, John left his play and hurried over. Hulda trotted after him. The three children clustered so closely around their mother that she could not sew. She put her work in her lap and began. It was back in Pennsylvania. My mother died when I was very young. My father married again. Then he died. And my stepmother married again. My new father was very cruel. He made me work from morning till night. And he beat me. Why didn't your stepmother stop him? Annie interrupted. I WOULD HAVE STOPPED HIM. I WOULD HAVE TAKEN YOU AWAY. WELL, MY STEPMOTHER COULD NOT DO THAT, HER MOTHER SAID. AND THOU art TOO YOUNG TO UNDERSTAND WHY. BE STILL NOW, IF THEE WANTS TO HEAR THE REST. ANNIE POUTED, BUT HELD HER TONGUE. A GUST OF WIND RATTLED SNOW AGAINST THE WINDOW-PANES. HER MOTHER LOOKED UP ANXIOUSLY. THY FATHER IS LATE, SHE SAID. I WISH HE WERE HOME. The older girls were bringing in more logs, pile up plenty, their mother told them by morning, we may have to dig out away to the woodpile. Go on, mother, Annie recommended one day. My stepfather was about to whip me for some work I had not done to please him, but he had hardly begun when a man on a fine white horse came by the farm. He heard me cry out and came galloping into the yard. He snatched the whip away and warned my father he was never to touch me again. This man had settled not very far off. Later he found out that my stepfather had whipped me again. This time he came over and did not stop to talk. He took me up on the back of his horse and carried me away. Just like that? Like a knight? Annie said, her eyes shining. Just like a knight, Mrs. Moses agreed. WHAT HAPPENED THEN? HE LEFT ME WITH FRIENDS TILL I WAS OLDER, AND THEN WE GOT MARRIED. HOW LONG DID YOU HAVE TO WAIT? NOT LONG, ANNIE. ONLY TILL I WAS FIFTEEN. BY THEN YOUR FATHER OWNED AN INN ON THE MAIN ROAD FROM PENNSYLVANIA TO OHIO. PEOPLE MOVING WEST IN COVERED WAGONS PASSED THE INN, AND MANY STOPPED THERE. WE DID WELL. WHY DID YOU LEAVE? ANNIE ASKED. One night, a gust overturned an oil lamp and set the inn on fire. The inn burned down, and all the money we had saved burned with it. We had no money to start again, so we joined the pioneers going west. We hoped that we could find free land in Ohio and live by farming, so we settled here in Drake County near Greenville. Was it long ago Long for you, Annie, four years before you were born, but it doesn't seem long to me. Tell us, Annie began, for she never had her fill of stories, but her mother stopped her. Enough for now. It's your supper time. Mrs. Moses put her sewing in the basket and got up. Annie went to the window to put her nose against it. The pane was icy cold. The snow fell with a whisper in the dim light. Annie stood there watching the drifts pile up. She wondered how her father would ever get home. But soon her mother called out, "'Suppers ready.' The children sat on benches that ran the whole length of the table. Their one-dish supper of ponade was simple but good. It was made of bread cut into little squares and mixed with plenty of maple sugar. Boiling water poured over it melted the sugar and made the ponade nice and hot. Cream poured on top made it rich. The hungry children gobbled it down almost as fast as their mother could ladle it out. Soon not a scrap was left, and they were fighting to lick the pot. After supper their mother put the two younger ones to bed. Annie was an impudent child. She could shift for herself. Her mother said while she was tucking in Hulda and John, "'Tis a bitter cold night, Annie. "'Use all the spare covers thee can find, or thee will freeze.' Annie found a buffalo robe and dragged it over her her blankets. She climbed into the snug bed and lay there sleepily. The buffalo robe was heavy but warm. She pulled it up around her neck, and the coarse curly hair tickled her chin. She could hear the wind whistling around the chimney and driving the snow against the windows.' Off in the woods it made a steady roar through the treetops. Swaying branches squeaked as they rubbed together, and deep in the frost a frozen trunk burst with a sharp crack. Annie knew her mother was worried about her father. That morning he had loaded his wagon with corn and wheat and set out for the mill fourteen miles away. He planned to have his grain ground into flour and meal, to change some of this at the Crossroads store for coffee and sugar to be home before dark. But it was very dark now, Annie he told herself, perhaps something has happened. As she lay awake thinking about her father, she heard her mother tell Sarah Ellen to leave his place set at the table. She heard the older girls putting her log of wood on the fire. It crackled and blazed up. Annie could see the shadows of the flames playing on the wall through the bedroom door. They were keeping a big fire going. After a while Annie dozed off, but went. But with the noise of the storm, the crackling fire, and worry over her father, she did not sleep soundly. Once she woke up and heard her mother praying for her father's safe return, she slept again. Then she woke up from a dream to hear trace chains rattling outside the door. A horse coughed above the wind. Thank God he's back, her mother cried softly. Annie heard her take down the big plank bar and held the door shut. She felt the ice drifts as the door swung open. Jacob! There was alarm in her mother's voice. Annie slipped to the floor and padded out barefoot into the windswept room. Her older sisters were already at the door. Her father was sitting stiffly on the seat of the wagon. He had tied the ends of the reins together and hung them around his neck. He could not guide the horses, but they had found their way home through the blinding snow. Bring an armchair with a blanket. Mrs. Moses said tensely, as she hurried out into the storm. Sarah Ellen threw a buffalo robe over a stout chair. She and Elizabeth carried it out, set it beside the front of the wagon. Mary Jane climbed up and took the reins from her father's neck. Then she and her mother, struggling with the weight, eased Mr. Moses into the chair, and he watched from the door as her mother and three older sisters carried her father into the house. His legs were like logs and his fingers were curled tightly shut. How he had managed to stay on the wagon seat was a miracle. He shivered a little as they set the chair down in front of the fire. Mary Jane and her mother helped him to the bed and tried to rub some life into the stiff limbs. Lydia and Sarah Ellen unhitched the horses and led them through the drifts to the shelter of the shed. Then the girls carried the supplies into the house. No one paid any attention to Annie. She stood shivering in her bare feet, watching by her father's bed. At last her mother noticed her. She patted her head and said, Go to bed now, Annie. Thee catch cold. One sick person is enough to care for. Back under her buffalo robe, Annie lay awake a long time. She could hear her father tossing and moaning. She wondered what would happen to her and the rest of the family if he did not get well. Next morning she was awakened by the sound her older sisters made throwing a big log on the fire. The smell of fat bacon and steaming oatmeal were good to her nostrils. She lay there comfortably a minute or two, and then she remembered her father. She dressed quietly and went out into the main room. The door to her father and mother's room was closed. Her mother, at the fireplace, wearily brushed back a lock of her hair from her forehead. She swung out the crane with a black kettle of oatmeal. Annie thought she must have been up all night. "'How is Daddy?' Annie asked. "'He is not well, child. Sit up now and have thy breakfast.' Sarah, Ellen, and Elizabeth were dressing John and Holda on a bench by the fire. The children wriggled away and ran to the table. While their mother ladled out the oatmeal, Mary Jane dished up the bacon. Lydia uncovered a Dutch oven that sat on the coals. In it were brown-topped biscuits. While milk for the oatmeal and black-strapped molasses for the biscuits, it was quite a breakfast. But Mrs. Moses was too tired to eat. She helped Hulda with her oatmeal, and then watched the others. "'Children,' she said at last, "'thy father is very sick. "'It may be many months before he can take care of the farm "'or earn any money. "'We will all have to buckle down now and work hard. "'Perhaps Sarah Ellen and I can find jobs with some of the neighbors.' "'Mary Jane offered. "'Perhaps thee can—' her mother said, and I might get some nursing to do in Greenville. I have done that before. It is lucky I have so many fine girls, for someone must be here to take care of the babies and look after thy father. Elizabeth and I will do that, Lydia said quickly. Don't you worry about it, mother. There was a silence while each of the girls thought what she could do to help. Little Annie was staring at her father's big gun that hung over the mantelpiece. Suddenly she broke the silence. "'I can go hunting,' she said brightly. "'I'll help get food.' The whole family looked at her. Then her sisters burst out laughing. "'What would you hunt with?' Lydia asked. "'Daddy's gun,' Annie said seriously. "'I've watched him use it.' "'Well, it would knock you right into the next county if you ever shot it off.' Elizabeth exclaimed, and they all laughed again. Annie didn't think that she had said very funny things, but she gave another good look at the long rifle. She saw she could hardly lift it, let alone hit anything with it, and then she laughed too. It was an anxious winter for the Moses family. Though Mrs. Moses and the older girls got jobs whenever they could, there were times when food was scarce. Poor Mr. Moses was never well enough to leave his bed. Steadily, he grew worse, and in March, he died. Chapter 2. Traps Little Johnny Moses sat up in his trundle bed. I'm awful hungry, Annie, he said softly. I feel all empty inside. Well, lie down and go to sleep again, Annie whispered. When it's time to get up. Mother will have something for you to eat. Annie was hungry too, but she was eight now, too old to complain. Two years had passed since her father's death. They had been hard years for all the Moses family. Mrs. Moses had been forced at last to give up the farm and even to sell old Pink, the milk cow. Luckily a neighbor had lent the family an abandoned log cabin to live in, "'but there was never enough money to buy things "'which were needed and seldom enough food. "'It will soon be winter again, too,' Annie thought. "'Then we'll hear the wolves howling in the forest "'the way we did last year.' "'She shivered and pulled her blanket closer. "'All at once she heard her mother's voice "'just outside the cabin. "'She climbed out of bed and went to the window. "'Her mother was kneeling not far off, "'praying, looking toward the rising sun.' O God, I know Thou art with us. I need bread and meat to feed my children, but I know Thou wilt not desert us. Amen. Annie crept back into bed. Poor mother so worried, she said to herself, I wish I knew some way to help her. She snuggled under the covers and lay still, thinking at last she had an idea. Later that morning, after Mrs. Moses had left for work, Annie called John and— started off for the woods what are we going to do here her brother asked you'll see was all annie would tell him they came to a brush patch near a fence in cornfield it was a wonderful place for quail the corn had been harvested and the stalks were stacked in rows like little wigwams up and down the field help me drag some corn stalks into the brush patch annie told john "'What for?' he asked. "'We're going to make a trap,' Annie said, "'and she crawled under the fence and reached for some corn stalks. "'A trap? Yes, to catch quail. "'We need more food, Johnny. Here, grab these stalks.' Annie had heard her father tell how he had made a trap when he was a boy. She hoped she could remember. With flat sticks, the children dug a sloping trench. They built a cabin of crossed corn stalks over it. They sprinkled kernels from an old ear of corn along the trench for bait. They propped the front of the trap up on a stick. Annie hoped that a quail would knock down the stick. Then the trap would fall and he'd be caught. When the trap was all set, Annie piled brush thickly all around it for there were raccoons, muskrats, and even possums that would be glad of a meal of quail. The brush would help to keep them away. The children finished the trap and sat down, some distance off to watch. But suddenly Annie realized she was starving. She had been too interested in her work to think of it before. She glanced at the sun. It was past noon. Come on, Johnny, she said as she got up. "'It's past lunchtime. Don't you dare tell anyone what we've been doing. I want that quail to be a surprise.' With Johnny behind her, she ran home and burst into the cabin, breathless with excitement from her project, as well as from running. Her sisters had finished lunch. "'Where in the world have you been?' Sarah Ellen asked. "'And where's Johnny?' Elizabeth added. "'Coming,' Annie said, as she slid into the bench at the table.' Wash before you eat, Sarah Ellen told her. What have you been up to? You're covered with dirt. Before Annie could answer, Johnny came panting across the clearing and through the door. Behind her sister's back, Annie put her finger to her lips. Wash up, Johnny, she said. They went outside to the pail and wash basin on the bench by the door. They doused themselves with water, wiped their faces on coarse huck towel, and sat down to a meal of boiled squash and beans. Vegetables had been their principal food for most of the summer. Annie's mouth watered as she wondered if there would be meat that night for supper. It was the middle of the afternoon by the time she and Johnny got away again. Sarah Ellen was in the garden picking late shell beans, but she was leaning over with her back turned to them. The children sneaked through the warm fence and slipped off into the woods. The sun was halfway down the sky when they came inside of their trap. The air was crisp and cool, and the woods were striped with long slanting shadows of afternoon. Nothing came, Johnny said. He was right. The front of the trap was still up. Annie felt very discouraged. Johnny started down for a closer look, but Annie put out a hand and stopped him. Her keen eyes had been had seen a movement in the brush. Quiet, she whispered. They heard a little chuckle. Then a small gray-brown head poked out from the brush, and a quail stepped cautiously toward the trap. It walked forward to investigate. It found the first kernel of corn, pecked it up. Bob White, Bob White, it sang. Another quail appeared behind it. The two birds were fat as pumpkins. Annie gripped Johnny's shoulders tight to quiet him. Her heart was thumping. The first quail poked its head into the trench. It moved halfway under the front of the trap. It was going in, eating it as it went. Annie hoped the bird wouldn't trip the trap until the second one got in. Luck held. The second bird had just got its tail out of the sight when the door to the cornstalk cabin dropped. The birds were trapped. Annie let go of Johnny's shoulders and sat down suddenly. What a relief. It was almost dark when the two children approached the cabin. Their mother had come home. She was at the fireplace, stirring cornmeal mush in a big iron kettle which hung from a crane over the fire. She didn't hear the door open quietly. But as she swung the crane out, she saw the children, and her eyes widened with surprise. Each child was grinning broadly, and each carried a plump quail hanging head down. Where didst thou get those? she asked. Trap them, little Annie said proudly. We made the trap, Johnny announced. Susan shook her head my baby's trapping by this time the older girls had clustered around examining the quails elizabeth said how did you kill them lifted the trap a little annie said and then they poked their heads out we hit them with a stick mrs moses stared at her i wouldn't have believed thee could do it where didst thou learn how Father used to tell us how he trapped them when he was a boy, Annie said. So he did, and thou remembered it. Thou art a clever little girl, Annie. Annie tried not to look so pleased with herself. Now we'll have meat, mother, she announced soberly. And the Lord knows we need it. All right, girls, pluck and clean the quail. We will have them for supper. Chapter 3 Annie Gets a Gun All that fall, Annie spent trapping with little John, scrambling after her. She explored the fence rows and thickets for the best place to set traps. The family had meat to eat, and they were stronger for it. Even so, there were many nights when the children went to bed hungry. Finally, Mrs. Moses decided that she must send little Hulda away for a while to live with friends. But I don't want her to go away, Annie protested. "'Why must she?' "'Because there will be one less mouth to feed,' her mother replied. and he glanced at the long rifle which hung over the fireplace. "'If you'd let me try, I could use father's rifle,' she said. "'I'd shoot squirrels and rabbits and maybe even deer. "'Then there would be meat enough for everyone.' "'No,' her mother spoke firmly. "'Thou art too small to handle anything so dangerous.' Thou must not touch that gun. Then let Sarah Ellen or Lydia try. Not me, said Sarah Ellen. I'm afraid of guns. I couldn't hit a barn if I was inside it, Lydia said. So little Hulda was sent away, and the long rifle remained on the hook over the fireplace. It fascinated Annie. Her father had been a good shot. Annie had often watched him load and clean the gun. She remembered that he had always tried to shoot small game through the head. "'Why spoil the meat?' he said. When I was a boy we used to consider it a disgrace to hit a squirrel anywhere but in the eye." One day Annie's mother and Mary Jane were away at their jobs, and the older girls were off cutting firewood for the winter. Eight-year-old Annie was at home taking care of Johnny. She was leaning against the porch post, soaking up the last warmth of the fall sun. Her younger brother was building a hut of sticks in front of the cabin. Squirrels were busily collecting nuts from a hickory tree that grew beyond the clearing. One big squirrel scampered along the rail fence about fifty yards away. It sat up with a nut in its paws and scowled it and scowled at Annie. It tore the outer shell off and the nut with its long, sharp teeth and scolded some more. Johnny ran out and threw stones at it. The squirrel twitched its tail angrily and ran up and down the fence. Then it sat up stiffly and began to scold again. Annie watched it, thinking longingly of hot squirrel pie. Suddenly she stood up called Johnny quietly and slipped into the cabin. By the time Johnny joined her she had dragged a bench over to the hearth and was trying to get the long gun that still hung on the hooks above the mantel. Now children, you should never touch a gun. You should ask your parents permission if you want to even look at a gun. You should not touch it and you should go and tell your parents, hey there's a gun here or somebody left it here just never touch a gun okay this was a long time ago and this was a life and death situation where they had to have food so don't touch guns okay Annie watched it thinking longingly of hot squirrel pie suddenly she stood up called quietly to Johnny and slipped into the cabin by the time Johnny joined her she had dragged a bench over to the hearth and was trying to get the long gun that still hung on hooks above the mantle. Johnny, I can't reach it. Hold the bench steady for a minute. Johnny steadied the bench, and Annie climbed up on the mantelpiece. It was a narrow perch, and Johnny watched wide-eyed, fearing she would fall. Annie lifted the butt of the long rifle from its hook and slid it down to him. Next, she got powder horn, bullets, caps, and patches. She stood on the bench while Johnny held the gun upright. She loaded it, just as she had often watched her father load it. But she poured in a little too much powder. Then she jumped from the bench, lifted the heavy gun, and clutching it tightly, she crossed the cabin and went outside. The big squirrel was still sitting on the fence, busy with his nut. Carefully, Annie laid the barrel on the long of the long rifle over the porch rail. She glanced between her to see where Johnny was and motioned him to stay back. Kneeling down, she snuggled the butt of her father's rifle on her cheek. His words flashed through her mind, a disgrace to hit a squirrel anywhere but in the eye. No squirrel keeps still for long. The second Annie saw the head of this one in the gun sights, her right hand squeezed tight around the throat of the rifle. At once there was a great roar and a burst of black smoke. Annie toppled over backward. When she got up, the squirrel had disappeared, and Johnny was running across the clearing. He reached through the fence row, picked up the squirrel, and came running back, carrying it by the tail. Annie was rubbing her nose as he approached. He pointed at the squirrel's head almost as proudly as if he had shot the animal himself. Right through the eye, Annie, he said. Then he glanced up. Wow, look at your nose. Annie didn't know whether to laugh or cry. She felt a little sick because she held the gun too loosely. It had jumped and the butt had banged her nose. She felt of it gingerly. It was sore and swollen, and she began to worry now about what her mother would say. Together she and Johnny got the gun back on its hook and Annie laid the squirrel on a shelf and settled down to wait for her mother's return. It was dusk when her mother got home. Annie didn't mention the squirrel right away. She was waiting to get up her courage. In the struggle with the bench, some ashes had been pulled out of the fireplace onto the hearth. Mrs. Moses spied them. She reached for her broom and began to sweep them back into the fireplace, and he was watching her. She knew she should not have done this. As the ashes settled on the hot embers, suddenly there was a sparkling sputter. Her mother stopped sweeping and stared at the fire. She swept in more ashes, more sparkles. She stopped sweeping again. She leaned on the broom and gave Annie a long look. Who's been playing with the gunpowder? She asked sternly. Johnny said nothing. Annie took a deep breath. We, she began. I mean, I. Annie, what happened to your nose? Mrs. Moses looked up over the metal, over the mantle. The rifle was just as it had been. She looked back at Annie. "'Hast thou been shooting that gun?' "'Yes, mother, I—' "'Her mother spoke gravely. "'But I told thee not to. "'I didn't think—' "'Annie caught her mother by the hand "'and led her to the shelf where she had laid the squirrel. "'Mother,' she said, "'you know quail are quite scarce nearby. "'If you let me use the gun, "'I can get more squirrels and rabbits "'and wild turkeys, all sorts of things.' Mrs. Moses sat down on the bench by the table. She drew her daughter to her. Thou art so small, Annie, for such a long rifle. If, at that point the other girl came in from the woods, they saw the squirrel at once. Who brought that? Elizabeth asked. Little Johnny piped up. Annie shot it through the head. The two older girls looked her in surprise. ''Did you honest?'' Elizabeth asked. Her mother answered before Annie could speak. ''Yes, she did,'' she said proudly. ''How she ever got the gun down and aimed it, I don't know.'' Looking down at Annie, she smiled. ''Next time, thee mustn't spill gunpowder on the hearth. The might set the cabin on fire. And Annie, be careful.'' Annie took this for permission to use the long rifle whenever she pleased. She made hooks to hang the gun where she could reach it. From then on she was the family huntress.